0: Every time I talk to my smartphone, I feel a little dumb, especially with Alexa and Siri and and half the time she has no idea. I don't know why it's a she, but I, half the time she has no idea what I'm talking about, right? Now, it's funny that things can get lost in translation. These are some bad translations. I like this one, um, beware of safety. That's not good. Um, this one is not what they intended to say. I would guarantee it. Execution in progress. That's not what that sign was supposed to say. This one's for all of you like me that may not be Huge Brussels sprout fans, meat mussel, stupid bean sprouts. Um, I don't. That gets ordered too often on the English menu side of that. Um, I, I appreciate this one too. Um, slip and fall down carefully. All right. Note, note to self. Uh, this is my favorite of all of them, though. Can't, if you can't read it, it says, it says hand grenade. So, you know, communication's complicated. Everyone in this room that has a spouse, that has a sibling, that is a parent, that has parents that we recognize that communication can be difficult. Somebody uh, tried to figure out how good our computers are at translating into other languages. So what they did was they took uh, the old uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game song, you know, the seventh inning stretch, the song that we sing there, and uh, they they decided that they were going to translate it through Google Translator into German. And then they were going to translate it back into English to kind of get a sense of how accurate it is. I won't sing this for you, uh, but here it goes. Um, Execute me to the ball play. Execute me with the masses. Buy me certain ground nuts and cracker stacks. I'm not interested if I never receive back. Let me root, root, root for the main team. If they don't win, it's a dishonor. Um, For there are one, two, three impacts on you at the old ball play. (laughs) That's pretty good. So, (laughs) one one of the things that we have had the privilege of doing as a church is we're going through the Book of Acts, and today we have the privilege of studying in Acts chapter two, one of the first of ten sermons that are recorded in the Book of Acts, and this one is given by the Apostle Peter. And it has been described as one of the greatest sermons ever delivered. And and as we study this together, there's something that I want to challenge you as we go through this, and that is that that there are multiple times that Peter says to those in his audience, give ear to, or listen up. Uh, There's something that's really important for you to hear. And this morning, I want to remind you of that, that when it comes to studying God's word, that we believe that God's word is the word of life. We believe that it is profitable. We believe that it's actually God's way, one of his many ways through the dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to communicate to you and I. And so when it comes to this truth, when it's communicated to us, there's nothing that the deceiver wants to do more than to confuse, to discourage, to to allow us to be individuals that miss the message. And we, we have to accept that, that while there's a message that's given, and I hope that hope is one of these places where it happens. Some of you have joined us in our Bible classes on Sunday. Some of you are a part of the kids programming. That you, there's lots of places. It doesn't just have to be here at hope where there's a message that's communicated. But the, the picture that I have in my mind when the apostle Peter says, Hey, listen up. That there's a deceiver that's out there that wants to hinder our ability to hear the very message that God wants to say to us. I've learned this in my home. I have three daughters when they were younger, especially in California, we, we learned that some of us have selective listening skills, right? Selective listening skills. That means the girls could be in the room as close as we are together, and we could say, oh, it's time for bed or time to take a nap, and they don't hear us. But they could be out of the house, in the backyard, on the playground, and somebody mentions ice cream, and they're there in two seconds, right? Selective listening, right? They, they assumed that there was something good for them. And when it comes to listening to the truth of God's word, this is something that I think that you and I can experience in, in our lives, that we can choose to give our ears to the Lord. We can say, Lord, what do you have for us? We want to hear from you. And when we do that, what we're told in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11, it says, God's word will not return void. Do you know what that means? That means God's going to do something in our lives if we choose to listen to him. But I can't help but think for, for every one of us, we live in a world where there's a mute button, right? My phone's got a mute button. We're reminded to silence things. We're told this for some of us, when it comes to God speaking to us, that we live in that land of allowing the deceiver to pull us away from what God wants to say to us. And we hit the mute button. We can do that a million different ways. I sat through, had the privilege, sincerely, to sit through a lot of messages. When I was in college, there was chapel five days a week, and then on the seminary, chapel five days a week. So so there was literally a sermon that I listened to almost every day of the week for an eight-year time period in my life. Some of them were great. Some of them were not so great. But there were times in the midst of that, because God's word was communicated, that God spoke to me. I can remember vividly, a time period where a speaker was speaking and there was something that happened and sometimes this happens to you where literally it just felt like God was speaking to me. He just had something for me to do. He was challenging me, he was piercing my heart. And I think that that we have to allow ourselves, if we listen to Peter's message, this great sermon, we have to listen to him say, hey, listen up, there's something for you. And if you do that, what happens is that you can experience what's been described as the word of life. That God can speak to us if we choose to allow this aspect of the Holy Spirit to speak to us in our lives. So we're going to look together today at one of the greatest sermons that's ever been delivered. And, And it was one of the best received sermons as well it's going to end it with a statement. It's fantastic. Those who heard it, like Peter doesn't pull punches, by the way. He calls them murderers, um, which is not great. He, he speaks truth to the recipients of this message. And there's this, this statement at the end. It's so fascinating to me. It says, we've heard it. So now what do we do? And I can't help but think that that's what God wants us to do. That that listening to his truth, it's really going to boil down to a matter of life and death. It's worth it. You know, we know that, that Peter challenged these individuals to listen up. He challenged them to to take what God was saying as his truth. And so Peter delivers this excellent message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick right up where we left off last week in Pentecost. And remember, there was this great, amazing event where the Holy Spirit comes in a physical, tangible way, and people heard it from all around. They were at a festival where people came from all over literally the world to be in Jerusalem at this time. And they're curious as to what's going on. We're going to see in the text something that I think is kind of funny. And that is, they, they hear this, this amazing miracle, work, from God, work of God, and the response that people have to it is quite interesting. So they, they say this in beginning in verse 13, it says, but others mocked them and they said they must be filled with new wine. Their explanation was that they were drunk. Uh, But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice, the 11 disciples, and he addressed the audience, and he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. In other words, 9 a.m. in the morning, they're not drunk yet. I don't know if if Peter thought that was funny. I'm guessing that Luke, when he recorded these words, he's saying, oh, it's 9 a.m. There's no way they're drunk And his point is something that's important for us this morning. And that is, there's always going to be people who are skeptical. There's always going to be people who want to take a natural explanation and place it on top of a supernatural event. And that's what they're trying to do. Now, it's important for us to note the speaker here, Peter, this is just about 50 days after the Lord Jesus was crucified. So 50 days after these individuals, some of which were a part of the the crucify him, crucify him. And Peter, who was somebody who had to deal with his own garbage, was one of those people that 50 days after the fact that he had denied the Lord Jesus Christ, that he had applied truth in his life in such a personal way, that he's now able to say, this is a message of hope for all of us. And this message of hope is not just one for the disciples, it's not just one for him, but, but as he preaches, as, he, as it's been defined as truth poured through personality, as he allows this message of the gospel to pour through him, what we see is that Peter's bold, he's direct, he's winsome. And he understands the audience that's in front of him. Some of these individuals were mockers. Some of them were seekers. That's in every audience that you're ever in with the church. That there's, there's people who say, hey, this is for me. I'm excited about it. God's got something for me. There's some people in this room, I'm aware of that, that are forced to be here. And there's some that are skeptical. You know what? People accepted the message of the gospel in all three of those categories that day. You know, we're warned about in the in the book of first, uh, Second Timothy that there's going to be a day, I love the way that this is described, where people are going to surround themselves with people who feed their tickling ears, right? That they, that, like, I like this image, and, and who knows when this was authored by the Apostle Paul, if he was... Uh, Envisioning, I can't even imagine. He was envisioning iPods and podcasts. And did I just say iPod? Nobody has had an iPod for like a hundred years. iPhones. Um, That he he envisioned. He didn't envision technology. But even in that day, there were people around him that could reiterate what you already believe. And here, what he's saying is that there's going to be a day when they're going to surround themselves. They're going to accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. You know, every audience is different, and every sermon is directed towards a specific audience. That's why I think it's important that we come to church together. And, and sometimes there's that thing that happens where it really feels like the person who's communicating is really speaking something that God uniquely had for you. That is one of the greatest encouragements to me when someone says that, to me and I've had that experience happen in my life. Sometimes there's just something that happens when you're in the room when somebody's delivering the truth of God's word. Allie tells the story, she's a year older than me and uh, she went to Cedarville where I went and um, there, oh, on one of the chapels, the electricity went out in the town of Cedarville And the speaker that was scheduled that day was Dr. Tony Evans. Have you ever heard Dr. Tony Evans preach? And so somebody was like, oh, don't worry, Tony doesn't need the microphones. There's 2,000 people in the room, right? So Allie tells the story that, that if you can picture a room like this, the electricity's off, and there's students sitting up on the stage and... And he just stood up and he declared the truth of God's word. And I've had multiple people who are in that room that day say that they uniquely felt like God spoke to them. And for individuals like you and I who can kind of go through the routine and, oh, okay, this is what we do. Stand up, sit down, go through the church services. That that I want to just remind you that when Peter challenged them to listen up, that he's saying something that you and I need to apply in our lives as well. When God's word is communicated, it's possible for us to literally have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, allowing us to understand that what the author of the Holy Spirit had placed in God's word in such a way that God speaks to us. Here in this sermon, I shared that it was winsome. It's biblical. It's Christian. It's a profound message that Peter shares. And I want you to study it together with me because it has so much truth. And it also has a side effect for us. And it teaches us how to listen to sermons. So I want you to catch this in verse 16. It says this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, This would have been about 400, between 400 and 600 years before Peter is writing these or reading these words that the prophet Joel prophesied that there would be a day in history um, like what had begun through the work of Pentecost. It says this in verse 17, and in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and your daughters they shall prophesy your young men shall see visions old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy this description of the last days it's very helpful for us to understand that at pentecost something really significant happened and what happened was a time period in history where we can now anticipate the imminent return of the lord jesus christ When we talk about these last days, what we're anticipating is that God is bringing to end the earth in the way that we know it and creation in the way that we know it. And he's establishing the fulfillment of his promise. So here, Peter reminds everyone that God is doing something special. And you know what I love about these verses that are on the screen right now? Is that it's a wide range of people that God is going to work in their lives—servants, students, kids, individuals. Like there's a range. Old men that that God is working in a tangible, physical way in people's lives through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, it goes on to say this: "And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs of the earth below—blood and fire, the vapor of smoke." and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone, this is a fantastic verse, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be safe. That deserves an amen. Yeah. So, so he describes these events that are a part of of the birthing process of our creation as it's coming to this stage in its history, where God is going to create a new earth for those who are believers, that he's going to manifest himself in the history of the world, what we know of as the day of the Lord, where he returns and he establishes reign and rule on the earth. The day of the Lord can be a tremendous day of rejoicing. It is quite fascinating to me though if you studied this like I did as a kid memorizing this passage in the new international version what they did with a Hebrew word that can be translated in different ways what they did in the NIV is they say this statement if you look with me in Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32 they have a direct quote here that Peter is is quoting but in the NIV the way that they translate translate Joel 20 2 verse 20 is this, it is an awesome day, but literally it says, or a dreadful one. It is a dreadful, how how can that word be the same? And I want to clarify something for you is that that in the Hebrew, that word could go kind of either direction. And what we know from our theology is that that day for those who are believers is going to be an awesome one. It's the return of the King. We're celebrating the fact that God is establishing the Lord Jesus Christ in such a significant way in history and that God is crescendoing this truth in such a way that it's glorious. But for those who have ignored and muted the truth of God in their life, that that day is going to carry with it the way the NIV puts it in Joel 2.20, it's dreadful. I I find myself so convicted in this area that this message is one of restoration or it's one that is warning that we know that he is going to return. Now when it comes to prophetic history in general, it's important for us to understand. When he says last days, it's a little confusing. Like Sean, how could it be last days? It was 2,000 years ago. But it's important for us to remember that when it comes to biblical history, that there's a component of prophecy that is already fulfilled and not yet completely fulfilled. And so when he says last days, it would be like the individual that stands back from a mountain. And who sees the peaks of it and doesn't see the valleys of it? And this is a picture of a mountain that was near our home in California. It's a um, San G, is the way I knew it. Eleven thousand five hundred and three feet. I know about that because I climbed all of those feet. And um, San G does an elevation gain of about fifty-five hundred feet um, in Southern California. Often it would be warm at our home and there'd be snow up on the top of San G. But what? is fascinating about Zenji as well is that the 12 mile hike up, you don't know this until you've done it, is that if you look at this picture, you can barely tell it. But on the, the picture that you're looking at here, um, the lighter one is a little bit higher than the other. And I didn't, I wasn't warned about this. So you make it up to the top and you think you're there. And then you look over, and there's a peak that's over there. That 's about three feet higher than we are you are, maybe ten feet higher, and so you have to go back down in order to come back up in order to summit and It is no fun i 'll just go ahead and say that so so when we see the fulfillment of prophecy and hear the declaration that there 's going to be a day when the Lord returns in these last days, there was a fulfillment that God was doing. He was being honest he 's re- describing to them the truth of the day of the Lord and the return of the king. But there was a partial fulfillment of that in in this time in history, but it wasn't a complete fulfillment of that truth. What what Peter goes on to say then is something that's tremendously profound about salvation. And, And in this process of describing what it meant to see Jesus put on the cross, he says something that applies not only to the Jews that were involved in this, but that applies to you and I as well. He goes on to say this in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. You remember our listen up statement. Men of Israel, listen up. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He's doing something that's important. He's capturing their attention. Then he's reminding, can you imagine that some of these people had eaten the food that was a result of the multiplication of the feedings of the 5,000. Like that, They'd eaten those fish that we always think about. They've, they tasted those loaves of bread. That For some of them, they saw these tremendously miraculous healings that had taken place. They may have seen Lazarus be raised from the... There would have been stories. So they had this image in their minds of Jesus doing miracles. But what's fascinating to me is that they weren't significant enough that for individuals, they still chose to choose to have a natural explanation for what God's doing. They hadn't believed in the Lord. So he says this. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter, the guy who was there denying Christ, is declaring the fact that they were a part of putting Jesus on the cross. That message is not just to the Jewish people that were there that day that were a part of saying crucify him, but but for every single person who's ever sinned, that that is the reality for us. We were a part of putting Jesus on the cross. It applies not only to those individuals who had blood on their hands, but you and I carry that same guilt because of the sin that we've chosen to allow into our lives. But do you see the graphic image that Peter goes on to describe? It's awesome. He says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible to be held by it. That, that metal image, uh, the metal, uh, metal um, you, know, uh, you picture this, right? I'm having trouble speaking right now. You picture that trap that has those nasty teeth and metal and capturing some, the pangs of death are torn back. That it's set free. It is paid in full to tell us. It's paid in full And that image of going from death to life is rooted in the fact that the Lord Jesus did it, that his resurrection gives us hope for our resurrection. You know, that word, that word loosened is one that's used one other time in scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, 14, and it's describing the Holy of Holies and the the barrier that separated us from God, that it was rendered into that we now have access to, to God through the loosening of the barrier wall. So here it's saying the pangs of death have been set free. This was by Jesus for us, even through his agony. Peter used what they knew. He knew what they had felt and experienced to remind them of the fact that there was something tremendously significant that was happening on their behalf through the work of Christ but it required them to listen up. They had to acknowledge a need. You and I have to do the same thing in our lives. We have to say that this is not just a message for somebody else. You guys know I like to tease about, especially spouses, where we do elbow listening, right? Where it's like, hey, you need to hear this, right? You know? No, you need to hear this, right? That this is a message that God wants to communicate to us. And then he's going to go on, and he's going to use King David as a description of what it means for us to understand that God is a promise-keeping God. As he goes on in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, Peter's going to describe the unique role that that David played, and he's gonna basically say, David had a promise from God, but David's dead. We can visit his tomb. And it it was intended to grab their attention and for them to understand, though, that God is still a promise-keeping God. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for as he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. This is quoting Psalm 1, um, 16, 8 through, 10, 8 through 11. So he says, he says this statement, verse 27, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. This is King David's declaration of the salvation of God. But then he reminds us that David is dead. Brothers, I may say to you that with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of all that we are, of that all of us are witnesses. I can't help but think he's pointing to the disciples. He said, we all saw it. We saw the resurrection of Christ. Verse 33, Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is a great great Trinitarian verse that describes all three parts of the Trinity. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. God is a promise keeping God. He describes this this statement about the, the promise that God had made to King David and that David is ultimately going to experience salvation. This is really significant and helpful. For some of us, we wrestle with salvation in the Old Testament. How is it that they were saved before the Lord Jesus had died? And it's essential for us to understand that salvation is always based upon the work of the cross. Now, after church today, now I'm guessing I shouldn't even say this. Some of you are maybe a little hungry because of the time change. Uh, but afterwards, you may run out to like Bob Evans, right? And and you're going to eat your meal. You'll consume your meal. And then you'll take out your credit card and you will pay for the meal. Um, and no money has exchanged hands quite yet, right? That it's on credit and there's going to be a day when you pay your bill. What What's beautiful to think about salvation in the Old Testament is that the cross was coming. The promise of the cross was always ahead. God was working his plan of redemption out in history. And so when King David talks about salvation, he didn't fully understand that salvation that was coming through the work of Christ, but he understood that God is a promise-keeping God. And that hope of salvation established itself in the fullness of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So on credit, it was paid in full at the point of the cross. For you and I, it's that same reason that we can take great hope in our salvation, that we can trust that God is a promise-keeping God, that it's in his ascension that we can look forward to our ability to be absent from the body someday, but present with the Lord. You know, I love about this, and it helps me to even think about the way I listen to sermons in general, is that sermon listening can really, truly lead to life upgrading. That, that sermon listening, when we choose to do it in a way that I believe honors God, we can have a result in our life that's like these guys. These guys heard this message. It was a tough message. And what ended up happening is that they say this. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart then they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We're going to study this next week. They, they end up, many of them becoming baptized. Many of those skeptics, many of those individuals that were mockers, they're going to come to Christ. And 3,000 people that day are going to enter into a personal relationship with Christ. They're going to go from death to life. They're going to have God speak to their very hearts. And, and I can't help but think, that for you and I, especially if we're going to do this thing every Sunday, if we're going to do this pretty regularly, where you come to church and you hear a message, that that I want to challenge you to grow in your ability to listen to the truth of God's word. One of the ways that I'm going to encourage you to do that is to begin with an anticipation that God is going to speak to you. So when we talk about God's word and that it's living that it's the word of life that we begin with this anticipation. God has something that he wants to say to me and that I want to make sure that I'm ready to listen to it. We believe that God's word is effective if we choose to not mute it, but choose to listen to it in our lives. You know, I'll be, be frank with you. Often it's what's being said that you learn from. Often it's just the truth of God's word that we read earlier will not return void. And there's sometimes that you listen to a message and you realize that it has nothing to do with what that person's talking about or that they shared something that you disagree with and that God's still going to speak in your heart through this. And so I wanna encourage you, it doesn't have to be a great sermon for you to come out of it having learned something, but instead that, that it may be what wasn't even said or it may be what God is speaking to you in your heart or what God is doing through even challenging messages or ones that, you don't completely resonate. I think that it's important for us to anticipate that God's going to speak to us. A second way that I believe that we apply this truth in our life is that we have to make sure that we accept that it's God's inspired word that we're listening to. That that we ourselves are self-feeders of God's word, that we choose to say, you know what, like I hear something. If you are in a prayer meeting with me, or if, I, if you see me, uh, I, I have my Bible on my phone. I have paper. I, I think they're both great. But, but I, when I'm listening to someone speak, I'm often just tearing through like, oh, that reminds me of this verse. Or, oh, that's great. Or, oh, is that true? Is that in there? Do you guys know that biblically, we're going to see this in the book of Acts, that, that they heard the apostle Paul teaching And what we're told in scripture is that they eagerly sought scripture to determine if what he said was true. That never offends me. In fact, that's that's absolutely what we're called to do, is that we're called to be people who say, this is God's word, and I'm going to allow that to be my standard of truth. So when we hear the truth of God's word, we have to be individuals that stand back and say, let's use scripture to interpret scripture. Remember, it's truth Preaching is defined as truth poured through personality and it's appropriate for us to be people who stand back and say, you know what, I want to make sure that that's actually true. And you know what that requires? It requires us to be people who are self-feeders of God's word. Sometimes we talk about sermons with kind of food language, like, oh, that was a, you know, a meaty sermon or that was powerful. But if you're depending on one meal a week, to sustain you throughout your week, it's probably not going to work out too well for you. The Apostle Paul criticized his listeners one time where he said, You know, at this time, you ought to be teachers but you're still suckling on spiritual milk. He said, I think it's time to grow up. We had, we had a, a, a dinner with some friends when our, my daughters were very young, and uh, they served us like, you know, you kind of like your kids are kind of in that chicken nugget stage at some point. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I think they'd serve like steak, you know, that involved like the knives and everything. And, and there's that moment where like, have we taught them to be able to handle this themselves? And for some of us, that same idea has to be how we approach the truth of God's word. He said that the the dividing wall has been broken down. You have access to the same scripture as I do, that we have the privilege of learning from the Holy Spirit that's indwelling us and filling us if we choose to submit to it. But the question is, are we self-feeders? Are we depending on someone else to feed us week in and week out? You know what's great about this? time in history, is that they, they decided that they were just going to listen to the voice of God. That they chose to stick in there and listen to Peter's phenomenal message. And what ended up happening is that literally 3,000 people went from death to life on that day in history. Don't know your story. I don't know how you're approaching this in your life, but I want to challenge you to consider when it comes to a Sunday morning sermon or a Bible class that you're taking or something that God's teaching, it could be through an author, that that you'd be somebody who's willing to go home and talk about it. If you want to talk about what encourages me, it's not just that we, we talk about truth, but like publicly or that I deliver something or challenge you with a message. But afterwards, if somebody says, you know what, this is how this truth is being applied in our life. This is how it's impacting the way we approach things. So talk about it. It doesn't always have to be that you're talking about it uh, in an agreeable way. Like, oh, it was great. It was a great message. Sometimes it might be that you're saying, I didn't agree with that, or I need to grow in this area. And so I want to encourage you, like how of listening to the truth of God's word when it's communicated is actually that you're engaging with it. And that you're willing to, even at the, the lunch table after a church service, that you're willing to say, hey, uh, what did you think about that? The, the last thing, with, and the why behind that, that's so encouraging to me, is if we do that, if we process truth in our lives, do you remember what the great commission was to us? And that it was that you will be my, do you remember what the word was? my witnesses. And so when we articulate truth that God has spoken to us through his word, that we can be the very mouthpiece of God to be able to declare this truth. That's what was happening with Peter is here. Peter was a man whose life was so impacted by God, even in his imperfection, that Peter's a man who's now able to witness to what God had done on his behalf. So you and I have that privilege to be God's witnesses in Brunswick, Medina County, Northeast Ohio, to the ends of the earth. That's what we believe that God has asked of us. So we accept that uh, communication can be challenging. But we also accept that the Lord Jesus has a message for us that is relevant for the way we live our lives today. The question for us is, if he's speaking to us, are we? We choosing to listen to him. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you that you promise us that it will not return void. I thank you for those individuals in my life that have taught me the privilege of studying your word for myself. I pray that that would be a benchmark for us as a church, that we're people who are self-feeders of your word. I pray for the individual that's here today that has heard this message and they maybe needed to be reminded of the fact that um, you are still speaking to us, that you're still actively engaged. And those individuals who call upon the name of the Lord, the way it was promised to us through this tremendous sermon by Peter, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray that that would be each of our stories and would we be willing to testify that truth because Lord, we believe that you're worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.